I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hey there, sports fans, and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's, and in all probability, the solar system's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield, and I'll be the director of operations here tonight. And alongside me in the studio is a man by the name of Tony Kerr. Thanks for welcoming me tonight, Adam. I'm not sure I said welcome, actually. Well, the sentiment they expressed was one of welcoming. I welcomed the listeners. <laughs> yeah, you, I'm, you I'm... should be here. I mean, it's it's literally in your contract that you have to be here. Yeah, so. I like to feel like I'm kind of a guest here and just <laughs> can behave how I like. I don't... A guest for the 189 consecutive <laughs> episode. Uh, how's it going this week, Tane? It's very good. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a fun week. Have you come down with ashes fever yet? Not even, no, not slowly. No. Well, that, and I was going to make a thing about that, but you've, you've kind of beat me to it. Well, go on then. Make a thing uh, about it. Well, you know, yes. You've got, you've got some material about it, is what you're saying. I am up for the ashes. Uh, but, I don't know, I'm struggling. It's crept up on us a bit, hasn't it? It's, it's, at the moment, it's been it's kind of in a, uh, an eclipse situation with Wimbledon. Where it's kind of just coming out from behind it now, as we speak. And also the Champions Trophy is another massive... Celestial, celestial body, body. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's kind of just passed off, and it's still kind of catching my eye a bit. Uh, so yeah, the Ashes is very much in the shadow of Wimbledon. Come Monday, yeah, I'll be up for it. And it's not helped as well by Sky Sports's kind of Ashes build-up teaser coming soon trailer thing, which just isn't that exciting. Have you seen it? I don't think I have seen it. You've not seen it. Well, you, if you have, you've probably forgotten about it. It's basically a montage of uh, stuff. Some montage, all kind of shot in a kind of soft focus, you know, depth of field, like big depth of field kind of style, like cool, if you like, uh, with a not particularly inspiring backing song, pop song. What do you mean by you stuff? Know, popular a music. montage of stuff? Oh, no, it's just like, it's just the, like the, the presenters and the commentators frolicking about in the studio, some other like cricket things happening around the stadium or the ground, the ground. But it's just, it's very uninspiring. It just doesn't, it doesn't get me charged. It just makes it look more like a kind of, that radio one's big day out it's rubbish you know it's, it's just a i was gonna it's, swear there it's a f-ing battle you know of, it's a cricket battle and it should be all guns blazing like high octane supercharged testosterone filled so you want the trailer to say it's the f-ing ashes <laughs> pretty much when what all it says is is like uh you know i'm gonna get it i'm gonna get it on youtube now for you because i think you need to see it well, they've. Well, you talk while I. I'll vamp for <laughs> you a fill, minute. Yeah, you fill. I'll, I'll scramble <laughs> to fill the dead air. Uh, uh, one thing they have done is they've changed the name of Sky Sports Two to Sky Sports Ashes or Sky Spashes is what it looks like on, <laughs> on the the TV guide. Uh, so yeah, they're not essing around, Tone. They're, I feel they're like really that, going for it. Do you know what? I feel actually that cheapens it slightly. I'd prefer them just to put on Sky Sports 1. That's where the main event is. You know, Sky Sports Ashes is like Sky Sports F1. 
since they started Sky Sports F1, I don't care at all about F1. <laughs> uh, don't, don't well, that's you, exactly though, isn't why. it? That's you being a, yes. a ludicrous man. A moron is uh, one way of putting it. <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you why. Because you then just get, you're like kind of swamped by 24 hours of that particular thing. You know, you don't, I don't want, you know, I just want the main event to be on Sky Sports 1. That's where Ford Super Sunday is. That's where live cricket has been in the past. Well, I'm not sure if if it matters too much, though, does it? Well, no, what I mean, channel it's, it's okay. Not. Yeah, but it's, it's like my, you know, I'm not going to buy stuff in the wrong aisle in <laughs> the supermarket thing. It just doesn't feel right. You wouldn't buy chocolate buttons from the drinks aisle. So you're saying but, if they Google. put if they put the ashes on Sky Sports Four, you wouldn't watch it? Okay, so we just pause so that Tony could show me the trailer, and I do actually agree with you. It makes it look like it's going to be a bit of a laugh, a bit, yeah, a bit, of a, a bit of a jeep. And it's like it kind of is like a an advert for a Sunday supplement in a newspaper. It's like you kept ex- I kept expecting them to be like you know get all the ashes on a Sunday with the times. So like there's there's Warren getting into a cab, looking like he's having a good time. Uh, there's Atherton and Lloyd clowning around in the studio. And then there's Stuart Broad going for a run by a river. Kevin Peterson in the gym. Yeah, and I do know what you mean. You want it, you want it to be a bit more serious than that. And the song, the song's by Bastille, which is like a some newfangled thing. <laughs> one of these, I'm, one of these new rock and roll bands that they have. I've now. actually re- the thing is, like, I, I would back in the day, I'd have been well into Bastille, I'm sure by now. But I now refuse to take recommendations from like newspapers, basically, and popular music magazines i've chucked that out of my kind of window in my library so uh yeah basically disappointed with the advert sky disappointed with sky sports ashes uh not after a good start but hey it's the ashes so you can put it back so i love the idea that people are listening to this like because presumably i'm going to name the episode something like ashes preview part one or something <laughs> like that and people will be like oh great i'll have a listen to this this will get me excited and right off the bat you're just there like yeah i'm not really that like i'm not really looking forward to it to be honest i'm not really that excited about it well, no, okay. Sky Sports are ruining it for me. More Ins- into Wimbledon. <laughs> Go listen to the World Tennis Show. Inside, I am very up for it, and no doubt by next Wednesday I will be buzzing. Uh, but just for the moment, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to have to go somewhere else for my, you know, for a G up, and it's going to have to be you. So <laughs> big, big pressure on you now. What do you mean the to, next to, to get minutes. you excited yeah. about the Ashes? Well, I myself have come down with a crippling case of Ashes fever. I'm very excited, and yeah, we are going to be talking about it in a big way on tonight's show. We're going to be doing our Australia preview. So that is very exciting. Uh, but before we get into that, I just wanted to uh, to raise something with you, Tane. You, you had a bit of a nightmare on Sunday night, didn't you? You managed to... Well, not, okay, well, I, I, was, I went home slightly annoyed. Slightly more annoyed than I should have been. <laughs> well, you, you sent me a, a text message that just said hashtag fail because uh, you managed to get yourself a parking ticket. What happened there, Tane? Do, do you want to explain to the listeners what happened? Well, the thing is, I'm actually 100% convinced that I'm in the right here on every level. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll be able to debunk that for you, well, but go on, explain well, we'll it. Well, we'll see. No, well, no, but basically now I, just, I pulled up outside a friend's house, parked on the road, causing no obstruction to anyone, uh, well within my rights as a f***ing inhabitant of the <laughs> earth. Uh, yeah, some do-gooder this came not, along and plonked a ticket on my car. It's not Roy Chubby Brown's <laughs> big night out. I'm just, it's annoying though. It is. I'm annoyed by the ticket. Yeah. So, so you parked on the street. It's not a very wide street. It has to be said. So you're kind of obstructing the flow of Wrong. traffic. It's a one-way street, which is plenty wide enough, pretty much spot on wide enough for two cars anyway. And I parked with my wheels on the pavement in a smart car. 
But you you do in know a that street. you're not supposed to park on that street, though. People don't park on that street. There's a yellow line all the way down. There's not a yellow line no around. This, the yellow line breaks. Now, there are no waiting signs on either end of that kind of strip of buildings, okay? But there's a yellow line also on the road, which breaks in at least two parts, maybe three, but I'm, I think two, two large chunks where you could probably get two or three cars into those brakes. What's the point of the yellow line? Completely just have the no waiting signs and no yellow line because they both mean the same thing effectively, don't they? Uh, or have the, have no no waiting signs and have an unbroken yellow line. <laughs> there we go. So that's the that's the rules. The moral aspect of it, anyway, is that you should be able to park anywhere as long as you're not causing an obstruction. Well, this is what you said. To, this is what you said to me because I came as well and I parked in the nearest car park, which is about a ten minute which walk away. Technically, is also and slightly <laughs> legal because you're not allowed to park in there. Well, you, well, yeah. I mean, we won't go into that. But um, yeah, no, I parked there. It's about a ten minute walk away. I came down. And was then annoyed to see that you parked <laughs> right outside because that's so arrogant. So it's typically it's arrogant. arrogant that you would park there. And I came in and <laughs> I came in and said to you, "I can't believe you parked there, Tone. What a joke!" And you said, "Well, it's a Sunday night. You should be able to park where you like." And I was like, "Well, you know, that's not actually the law, though, is it?" And you were like, "Well, it should be." So I'd lo- I'd love to see you try that out in a court of law. I'm going to argue like, paid be. it yet. I haven't paid it yet, but when I go, I'm going to argue the point because it's it's a nonsense. The whole thing is an absolute nonsense. I can tell you now that you're going to get absolutely nowhere with that <laughs> argument. No. Okay. No, but can you the argument of the no waiting sign and yellow line contradiction kind of argue me down on that? Well, it's possible that that's slightly confusing, but my point it's is that... confusing. It's like what's the what's the word for when you say uh, when you say two words that mean the th- mean the same thing? <clears throat> A tautology. That's it. It's like physical parking restriction tautology, isn't it? It's a it's a nonsense. And anyway, yeah, well, parking restrictions should be looser on a Sunday because I think no it's one, pretty clear. It's a hard day of rest. Rest <laughs> of parking restrictions also. It's hard to explain to the listeners how how obvious it is that you shouldn't park <laughs> on that road. It's just a little bit of common sense no, tells you no. you should not park on that road. And yeah, I, I I have no sympathy with you at all because it's you a, shouldn't be parking there. It's a one-way street. There's no but you, you, at no stage would any car or any person driving a car coming down that street would have had to get on the pavement. It would have just gone straight past it with no not even blinking. You're such an arrogant driver. It's arrogant. This is, this is <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's common sense. It's a Sunday <laughs> night. I've just pulled up for a couple of hours. It's an absolute joke. No, it is a joke. And actually, you, you like to play by your own rules on the road. It's like when there's a, a beach in Guernsey where there's, there's kind of like a road down and a road back up and people use them in that way that to come down that way and up the other side <laughs> but they are actually two-way and I, you were driving up there with me in the car and you were absolutely <laughs> tearing up there and like in the middle of the road and I was like Tone you know that cars can come down this way and you're like oh they'd be mad to <laughs> they'd be absolutely mad to <laughs> Uh, okay, well, that, yeah, probably slightly wrong on that front. Ashes. Whether you like it or not, Tone, we're going to talk about the ashes now, because can you hear that? That is the sound of the ashes bandwagon careering into town. The phony war is almost over. The first of an unprecedented ten back-to-back test matches starts at Trent Bridge next Wednesday. Are you ready, Tone? You don't look ready. You say you're not ready. Are you going to be able to get ready? By next Wednesday. Oh yeah, mate. I've got a full week. I mean, you're not playing, I suppose, are you? So no, you don't have to I'm, do too much. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, well, yeah, yeah. To, to use a cricketing expression, I am undercooked slightly at the moment yeah. in Ash's punditry terms. But uh, you know, with a week to go, I'm pretty confident that I can turn that one around, get some words under my belt. 
I'd put the day off work. So that that's how seriously I'm taking it. I've, you know, I've just, all I've got to do now is get the snacks in. You know, <laughs> get my wagon wheels, get my Nutella. <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's almost certainly going to be raining now that I've taken that day off. The whole day will be washed out. No, well, the forecast is precious, precious few days holiday. And uh, and yeah, I've taken that. Well, one. this is what's slightly annoying though is that the start of the ashes looks like it's going to coincide with the start of the the actual summer as well. So you know, we'll be torn now. Like, should we go outside or should we walk, watch the cricket? Someone needs to invent an outdoor television. <laughs> God, if only. Well, I'm actually working next week on a shift uh, of five thirty to one thirty. Pretty great. I'll be home by two, and just in time to watch the afternoon session. Well, this is the first of our colossal two part preview. Uh, We're going to be talking about England next week. This week, it's Australia. And on last week's show, we discussed the startling decision to sack Mickey Arthur as coach and replace him with Darren Lehman. Now, I think we both expressed reservations about that move. It seemed quite quite an alarmist thing to do, but we seem to be very much lone voices, I would suggest. The the general consensus in the media is that it was a masterstroke. Uh, In fact, there seems to be a bit of a media love-in going on for Darren Lehman. Virtually all the articles I'm reading about it now are sort of saying, oh, England are nervous, and oh, how has Lehman managed to affect this radical transformation in the Australia camp? Now, the word is that the players have responded well to Lehman so far and that there is a much more positive feeling around the camp. But what do you reckon, Tone? Is, is the sun now shining for Australia? Are the birds singing? Or is this reaction a tad over the top, given that Australia are yet to play an international fixture under Lehman? Yeah, well, yeah, if you put it like that, Sure. You know, they're still the same team that they were. Well, they've got to have to be the same team because we haven't seen them be able to change it. So they are the same team that was uh, pretty disappointing in the Champions Trophy and before. Yeah, it does seem like there's been a a positive upswing, but they've still got it all to do. Uh, There's a bit of talk about... (coughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to (laughs) vomit. It's like, please don't do that here. There's a bit of talk about the uh, first test pitch kind of suiting the Australians and uh, you know there's you know perhaps that's their best chance in the first test of picking up a win and yeah, that should, could change the balance of the series but it, you know if England win that then by all accounts it's a straightforward task from there well it should suit the seamers which is almost a tongue twister at Trent Bridge and given that their seam attack is far and away their their strongest suit you would think that this is is probably the the test match that Australia are most likely to win not saying that they're not going to win any others, but this is probably, yeah, their, their best bet. Yes, in that sense, if there is a much more positive feeling in the camp, if they're in a much more confident mood and they're going into um, their best chance of winning a test in this series, if they do win at Trent Bridge, it, it could set the tone in a very, very positive way for the Aussies. And I think it is probably true that there's a more bold feeling about Australia now. It, it, it feels more like they're going to go for it. There was a sense they were running a little bit scared a couple of weeks ago and Lehman coming in probably has changed that feeling he's made a couple of bold decisions already he's announced a brand new opening combination for the first test with Shane Watson restored to the top of the order and Chris Rogers slated to partner him there what do you make of that obviously Ed Cowan and Dave Warner have been at Australia's openers uh, for the past 18 months or so Um, that partnership has been broken up and completely replaced by 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 Watson and, and Rogers do you think that's a good move Watson, yes. The inclusion of Rogers, I don't know. It's a sort of it's a sort of partnership that could either, for me, go ter- like terribly badly or just badly. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> uh, uh, 
in terms of the partnership, I, England are going to be pretty hopeful that with their bowling attack, they'll be able to make an early breakthrough every time. Uh, you know, Rogers is clearly going to be quite susceptible. You'd have to imagine. Equally, Watson probably the better. You know, probably overall looking like a, a better decision to bump him up the order. So. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think there won't be too tr- too much trouble for the Indian bowlers to to crack. Well, I think moving Watson back up is probably sensible, given that he did a very impressive job as opener for a couple of years. I mean, that is where his reputation as a Test batsman is founded. I mean, he was he was excellent as opener. He didn't get the big hundreds that he might have done, but he was very very consistent. He missed a few Tests through injury, and Warner and Cowan came in, and when he returned to the team, it was in the middle order, and he's really struggled there. He's not really made any impact in the middle order. Now, aside from Clark, he's the most experienced and probably the most dangerous batsman in the Australian team. So you can understand why they've made this decision that they they need, they need want him to bat where they're going to get the most out of him. So, yeah, putting him back as opener does seem like a fairly logical thing to do. I think Ed Cowan will feel a bit hard, hard done by that he's been replaced by Rogers because he's been reasonably impressive, I think, for Australia recently. He, he was one of the only batsmen to emerge from India with at least a little bit of credit. You feel that Rogers at 35 is going to go one of two ways. He's either going to be blasted away by England, exposed as, you know, a county journeyman, um, or he's going to come in and score two or three hundreds and people will be sort of saying, where's he been the last five years? For the bulk of his career, he couldn't get anywhere near the Australia team because it was filled with world-class batsmen, you know, all-time great batsmen. And then he was seen as being too old. It's only now that we're going to see just how good a test player he could have been uh, and it, it might be enough to to help out Australia in this series it's not a long-term solution but I can understand the thinking in sort of saying well we don't need a long-term solution at the moment we need a very short-term solution and, and he's a, a decent bet in that way but the England bowlers as you say are, are going to feel reasonably confident against him given that he just has no test experience at all or one test in 2008 but other than that no test experience and the Australian batting, I think, is the key to the series for me. Their bowling is strong, but the English batting is strong. So those two things may well sort of cancel each other out. The big question is whether the Aussie batting can stand up to the English bowling attack. And that is almost certainly where this series is going to be won and lost. Now, if you look at the batting overall, undoubtedly it's been weakened in recent times by the retirement of Mike Hussey. People say, oh, the retirements of Hussey and Ponting. I'm not sure the retirement of Ponting is quite as damaging given that he scored cumulatively no runs for about three years before he retired but yeah Hussey going is a big blow a a huge amount of experience and form disappearing when he went but I don't know I mean people are talking about this batting lineup as though it's terrible I'm not sure it's it's that bad I mean there are some very fine players in there not least Michael Clark who's averaging 66 as captain and of course scored all, all those double hundreds and triple hundreds against India and South Africa how important do you think he's going to be in this series? He's back to fitness now after his back problems. How big an influence yeah, do you think he's Yeah, I mean, have? he's the high point in the order, isn't he? And the, the, the lots, a lot rests on him in, obviously, more ways than one. Uh, Batting-wise, I do think it's going to be key. You know, if Australia are into bat first on the first morning, you know, the, the atmosphere is going to be electric. The English bowlers are going to be pumped, and I think they'll be into the top order pretty easily. Uh, and he could find, you know, if Australia bat first, he could find himself batting pretty early on in the first morning. Uh, and that's going to be a big test, isn't it? He's going to get runs. He's going to get a lot of runs in the series. Whether there'll be enough, I don't know. You, you know, I'm, I'm... Will he get enough? Maybe not. <laughs> well, I think that's where the gulf between England and Australia lies, in the sense that 
you know, for England, you'd say, well, they've got a number of batsmen who could have a big series. You know, they'll be looking to Cook, but they'll also be looking to Trot, to Bell, to Peterson. You know, if a couple of those guys have big series, then they'll be fine. But they can almost afford to have one or two of them not have great series. They'll absorb that. But for Australia, if Michael Clark doesn't have a good series, they've got no chance. If he does have a good series, then they've got a chance. But yeah, if England can find a way to get on top of him, he's not had a lot of cricket in the last few months. If they keep him quiet, then yeah, the, the, there's just no way, I don't think, that Australia are winning this series. But he is one of the sort of two or three best batsmen in the world at the moment, alongside Hashi Mamla and Alistair Cook. So the mere fact that he's there means that this can't be an absolutely dreadful batting lineup. And they also bat deep, I think, Australia, um, with Siddle and Pattinson and Mitchell Stark as well. They can all bat, and I think they might hold the edge over England in that regard. We've talked about this, but you know the likes of Bresnan and Broad, their batting form has dropped away in the last sort of 12 to 18 months. So Australia are superior in that department, and I think that's the opposite to the last couple of series. And actually, certainly in 2009, the series was almost won and lost there, that England's lower order scored a lot of runs and Australia's lower order didn't get any. So that, I think, is something that's perhaps not being talked about that much, but, but could be critical. Um, well, I mean, the, the only other... You go down the kind of uh, the list of most... Or, or the list of players with most runs in the last year. You know, Clark's right up there, second place. But the other the other names, Australian names at the top, Cowan, who's not there uh, for the first test. Well, Hussey. he might be. He might just bat lower down, but it looks like he's probably not going to be picked. Yeah, Hussey, he's not there. And Warner, who may... Well, probably might be there, but God knows what state he's going to be in. I mean, he could be chomping at the bit and probably will be. Uh, but certainly question marks over, over Warner. So, yeah, there's a lot of runs taken out the side there, isn't there? Well, I would imagine that their top six is going to be Rogers, Watson, Kawaja at three, Clark at four, Hughes five, and Warner six, which in one way looks like a rather more solid uh, and sensible batting order than they've had in recent times, but in another way is completely untested. I mean, Kawaja at three, untested. Hughes at five, who knows how he's going to get on. Warner at six, never really batted Rogers there before. Rogers at one. Yeah, so there, there's there's a lot of question marks there. And England will feel they can exploit that, that they can put this lineup under pressure. And that perhaps is where all this talk about the new coach coming in might be a, a little bit premature. You know, it's all very well feeling happy, feeling confident, but it might not help that much against Anderson and Swan. If Anderson and Swan bowl as well as they can, and Broad and Finn as well you have to think that they're going to be too strong for most of these Australian batsmen. If they're not quite at the top of their game, then then that's where things get much more interesting. So so that is, I think, the, the real key battle. The other key battle, if I'm allowed to pick two key battles... Is I think one of them the batting and one of them the bowling? The other one is the bowling, and also maybe a third would be the fielding. <laughs> right, OK. Uh, no, the, if I'm going to narrow, narrow it down a bit uh, in the bowling, and that's in the spin department... Graham Swan actually had to go for a, for an X-ray, didn't he, uh, after being hit on the arm in England's warm-up game against Essex. Uh, but apparently he's fine. I didn't sleep much the night that he uh, that he had to go for the X-ray because if he's not fit, then yeah, suddenly Australia will be feeling a lot more confident. But apparently he's going to be okay. Now we all know what he can do if he's fit and at the top of his game. He's really going to enjoy bowling against all the Aussie left-handers in particular. His opposite number is Nathan Lyon who has a reputation as being not that good. But do you think that people are maybe a bit quick to, to jump to that conclusion, to write him off? Because his test record is not that bad at all. He's taken 76 wickets in 22 tests at an average of 33, uh, which isn't 
terrible by any means, and he's got three five-wicket hauls. Ah, <laughs> oh, look, he's all right. Uh, you know, he's going to be... It'll do a job, but when you're comparing two sides, you, you know, you've got to speak relatively, haven't you? And if you're talking about spinners in the series, yes, he's he's clearly a decent spinner. He's a test spinner and he's he's taken wickets, but he's clearly not as good as Graham Swan. So it, it's difficult to get too excited about him, isn't it? Well, he's also not as good as Shane Warne, and this is perhaps <laughs> well, where... that's maybe a bigger problem. He really suffers, and I, I, I would get very frustrated if I was him, and I would get very frustrated if I was an Australian cricket fan as well, that... All Australian spinners since Warren, and I think there have been about 10 or 11 of them now, are constantly compared to him, even now, six years after after Warren's retirement. Because it's just not helpful, is it? I mean, it, people just need to move on. He's not Shane Warren, but no one's Shane Warren, apart from Shane Warren. Look at him on his own merits, and I, I think he's a very useful test bowler. It's not that productive to compare it to Graham Swan either, because Swan is exceptionally good. He'll do a job for Australia. He'll pick up regular wickets. It's not, I think, the fault of Nathan Lyon that Australia are outgunned in that department. It's just a great thing for England that they have such a good spinner in Graham Swan. And so, yeah, that, that is a big advantage for them. I think you do have to compare him to Graham Swan because, you know, he's going to have to play out of his skin to make you know to be noticed and to actually make a difference he's clearly not that you know he's not as good a spinner or he's not that much better a spinner than like the England batsman or batsman is he so I'm not sure I understand what that means well it's pretty clear (laughs) (laughs) oh sorry no no uh no I mean he's you know he's he's got to be a lot better of a spinner uh than the England batsman that have got to be batsman to to make an impact doesn't that's the nature of a one-on-one contest that uh, he has to surpass them. Yeah, so the England of... batsmen aren't going to be too worried about him, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then I think they but might then... be a little bit surprised by him in that respect. I, I can't see him bowling Australia to victory in any of the test matches in the way that you would expect Graham Swan to bowl England to victory. But I think he will chip in regularly. I think he'll take wickets and do that kind of supporting job for Australia that, that can be crucially important for teams. You know, If he can just come on and tie up an end. I mean, England will look to get after him. Um, but then teams used to try and do that against Ashley Giles when he played for England, and that really played into England's hands at the time because it because Giles was a better bowler than they gave him credit for, and I think the same might well be true for Lyon. The other thing though is his economy rate is pretty poor. Looking back at his last few tests uh, against India, in every innings he went in every innings in which he bowled at, he went at more than four and over, and against Sri Lanka again, four three point six eight four. Emma Stoney in particular really got after him uh, when he scored that that double hundred in uh, I think it was Chennai. Yeah, so I'm I'm not saying that uh, he's going to be the difference between the two sides. I'm not I'm not trying to talk him up as being a, a potential match winner for Australia. I'm just saying don't be too surprised if he does all right in this series. I don't think he's Xavier Doherty in the last Ashes series who just got completely taken apart by England. I think he's better than that. I hope that England don't underestimate him. Difficult though with, things, with these kind of things. I don't, you know, I don't want to undermine your preview or our preview, but uh, but you're going to. But you know, in a two-horse race uh, like this, there's only 22 players to analyse. Effectively, aren't there? there's only 22 players to talk about. There are only two spinners to talk about. So there is a danger that you do by you know giving him a few minutes airtime on this show. Uh, you do over you oversell him, I think. Uh, and you know, clearly he is a very he's a very capable cricket otherwise he wouldn't be playing test cricket for australia <laughs> but his impact in this kind of series difficult to see him doing huge amounts yeah and I, I and i think that graham swan will be much more influential so in that sense you're right but i mean swan swan has to be fit for him and that's the thing and, and that is if he's not then 
all bets are off almost because James Treadwell would probably be the next cab off the rank at this point. But he hasn't <laughs> taken he hasn't taken a first class wicket this season. Monty Panazar's just been dropped by Sussex. It's swan or nothing really for England. So just wrap him in cotton wool between now and next Wednesday. Talking about the Australian spinners, did you see that um, Fawad Ahmed's citizenship application has just been approved? This is the um, Pakistani leg spinner who came to Australia uh, and sought asylum, I think, in 20. 20- Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 10, so three years ago, if my maths is correct, uh, and they've just changed the law in Australia to expedite his citizenship application to fast track it so that, that he could potentially be called into the squad for some or all of these test matches. What do you make of that? Well, the move to expedite the Well, I mean, I I don't want to get involved in politics necessarily, (laughs) but uh, do you expect Australia to call him in at this point, given given that you don't rate Nathan Lyon? Do you think that might be something that they'll look to do? You'd have to think so, given that they have brought forward the the time when he could become eligible to play from, what, the end of the summer to the start of the summer. I don't know. Is he going to come straight into the squad? Well, he's been playing for Australia A. They haven't said that he's he's going to play, but they haven't ruled it out either. I would be very surprised if he plays in the first test, but it, it's it's by no means uh, impossible to imagine him playing later on in the series, particularly if Australia um, get off to a bad start. I don't know, though. I'm not sure that it's a hugely sensible move because, I mean, at the risk of unfavourably comparing another Australian spinner to Shane Warne, <laughs> he's not Shane Warne. Like, I can understand if he was you know the best leg spinner in the world, but I think he's only got about 30 first-class wickets. By all accounts, he's a, a very talented bowler, but I'm not sure he's going to come in and rip England apart. In that sense, I don't know why you'd want to do it necessarily. Even if you thought he was a little bit better than Nathan Lyon, what kind of message does that send out to the rest of the squad? We have so little faith in you that we've had to change the citizenship laws yeah. of this country in order to get this other bloke in. I don't know, I, I, I would have big reservations about doing that if I was an Australian selector, which, God willing, someday I will be. <laughs> uh, yeah, although the other, the other side of it is, you know, they've probably just given themselves an option. Should Lion get carted around and, you know, fail to make any kind of impact, then they have got another option to go to. Yeah, perhaps, yeah, they if, if they're going into the fourth test 2-1 down or 2-0 down and it's, you know, it's it's getting to desperate times and they think, yeah, we've, we've got to do something, then maybe that's... That's what it's all about. Inevitably, it it raises questions about nationality in cricket and and whether it should be possible for someone someone to to come to Australia at the age of 28 and three years later be able to play for them with no pre-existing family ties. I mean, obviously, as England fans, it's a it's a 
it's dodgy territory to to complain about given the the number of South Africans playing in the team but um but I think some Australians are not entirely happy about it what what do you think oh yeah it is like you say it's not the most comfortable territory to tread for an England fan. I mean, yeah, obviously we've not really made much complaint about uh, about the composition of the England team in recent years. Some people have, uh, and I'm sure they would be equally damning of this decision. But you know, there is there is a danger with only you know a small number of top quality Test playing nations. Fawad is Pakistani in origin, but you know, equally. If there were th- hundreds or thousands, well, maybe hundreds of top quality players in, uh, you know, in Indian cricket that were coming through and weren't going to get into the Indian side, but went to another country and got in the side after three years, it wouldn't be long probably till a lot of the, the kind of lower quality nations. I won't include Australia in that just yet, uh, but you know, could be including sort of shopping around yeah, for, for players, including yeah. players from from other countries. So. Yeah, I don't know. Be, you know. Maybe this isn't the start of that, but... It, it potentially opens the door for that, is what you're saying. And I suppose that is true. That's a good point. You made a good point there. My feeling about it is that I, I do get frustrated sometimes when people talk about it like in very black and white terms because nationality isn't a black and white thing. You know, It's, it's about more than just where you're born, isn't it? And it's, if Fawad Ahmed's you know, been living in Australia for a few years, if he plans to go on living there, if he feels Australian which is quite a nebulous concept, but yeah. then nationality is a very nebulous concept, then why shouldn't he play? Well, um, exactly. And it's only going hard, you know, to get harder to distinguish nationalities uh, and distinguish this kind of backgrounds. And it's, you know, it's not something that necessarily needs to be done. Is it? I'm not particularly bothered. But then if you're going to have an international sport, you do need some kind of... The point of international sport is to represent nations. So you do need some kind of... There's got to be a line somewhere. It's just very, very difficult yeah. to work out where that line should be. But yeah, anyway, the the the, the my feeling with with this is that I'm I'm just not sure um, it's necessary for Australia to bring him in. But it, it's very possible that he will get a game at some point in this series. So that's the spin department. Clearly, Australia's big strength is their pace attack, which looks likely to be Peter Siddle, Mitchell Stark, and James Pattinson, assuming they're all fit. As an England fan, are you nervous about that trio? Wouldn't say nervous as such, but you know, wary of the threat for sure, and you know, yeah, not particularly apprehensive. I think, given the quality of England's top order and middle order, so yeah, pretty confident. You think that the the England's batting is good enough to cope with those pace bowlers? I think they're really good, though. I mean, Mickey Arthur was laughed out of town when he said that it was the best bowling attack in the world. Uh, but I'm not sure he was too far wrong. Maybe if he'd said best seam attack, he would have only been out by a couple of nations. I think South Africa is definitely the best, then probably England, but Australia maybe third best. James Pattinson frightens me. Uh, Peter Siddle's a much better bowler than he was the last time England faced him, and he didn't do too badly then either. And this is going to be his third Ashes series now. He's had one in England before, so he's got a lot of experience under his belt. And if Mitchell Stark gets the ball swinging into the right-handers, he will be extremely dangerous. Jonathan Trotz had problems against that type of bowling before. So too Ian Bell. Not just the right-handers, but the left-handers as well. Alistair Cook had huge problems with Mohamed Amir a few summers ago. That can be a devastating weapon against, well, any team, but but against this England team in particular. So I, I am a little bit uh, apprehensive um, about that pace attack. And it's primarily because 
of them that I'm a touch surprised at the way that Australia have been so derisively dismissed by the English media in the months leading up to this series. To me, they look distinctly capable of taking 20 English wickets, potentially capable of taking them quite cheaply at times as well. I think the smugness of the English pundits is largely based on what happened to Australia in India, but I'm not sure that that series is going to be hugely useful as a barometer of what they're going to be like as a side in this series because conditions are so different. And if you just go a couple of months before that India tour, they wiped the floor with Sri Lanka. They competed very hard against South Africa. They actually did much better against South Africa at home than England did against South Africa at home. Yes, they had Mike Hussey in their team then, but otherwise it was more or less the same side. So possibly England should be a little bit more wary than the consensus in the media implies that they need to be. Australia aren't favourites, not by a long chalk. But, I think that's but, the key though, isn't it? Yeah, you know, uh, with England placed as favourites and England expected to win, once, you, once you're in the mindset of expecting an England win, then it is easy to think that, you know, well, where's the threat going to come from? And that probably if you add up the quality of the bowling and the Australian batting, it, you know, it, it's not there, is it? It's not overall, you, it doesn't appear to be there. So, yeah, I, I agree. It is easy to write them off. But then again, you know, they... A lot of those bowlers that you mentioned haven't played a huge amount of cricket, have they, in the last year? They're not, and they've got to play what five Ashes and then another five Ashes tests. So, you know, will Mitchell Stark and James Patterson play all of the ten tests? Probably not. Almost certainly <laughs> not. Yeah. So there is uh, there is a danger that they yeah, become weakened along the line. Will Steve Finn, Stuart Broad, and Jimmy Anderson play all ten tests? Almost certainly not. And uh, yeah, I think England probably have more depth in the pace bowling than Australia do. But then Australia do have some depth, Ryan Harris and Jackson Bird. There's every reason, I think, as an Australian fan to feel like they could surprise England in this series. Not necessarily with a win, but I I think it's going to be closer than the likes of Ian Botham are thinking. I mean, I I saw uh, on Cricket Writers on TV, Stephen Brankley from The Independent was just so dismissive. He's like, I don't think they're going to win the Ashes. That's that's beyond question. Of course they're going to win the Ashes. (laughs) It's like set in stone. Well, as you say, if Australia do win this first test at Trent Bridge, the narrative of the series will change dramatically, and I'm sure England will get nervous at that point. Yeah, no, well, I agree. Uh, you know, and it is that's a big test. Obviously, uh, you know, we always I think we said it quite often. You know, this next session, you know, that's the, that's the key session. Yeah, uh, and the key session, as far as we're probably both concerned, is the first morning of the first test. Anecdotally, that seems to have set the tone in the recent Ashes series, uh, and you could probably have. Uh, what's the word? Extra doulard. Uh, the you know the tone from the first session out across the whole series. Extrapolated. And extrapolated. That's the word I was looking at. Uh, and you could have probably extrapolated the first. <laughs> I'll go back and edit that in, yeah, to make you look like less of an idiot. Cheers, mate. Uh, no, you could probably have. Uh, you could probably have just followed on from that that first session and 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 got the series result. It is the key session. If England don't perform as well as as they might. Well, as most of us might hope, uh, then they they probably will get a lot of criticism quite early on. If people are expecting them to win so heavily, it follows that the uh, it follows that the criticism will probably be quite harsh and quick. Well, that's the thing; they're under huge pressure because people are expecting them to win very, very comfortably. But I think Australia are a better side than that. I, you know, I think I think this will be competitive. I put England as strong favourites, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee a win. And I mean, Australia were a session away from becoming number one in the world last winter which would have been a bit of a false situation but it would be tough therefore to say that they're rubbish i'll save my 
full on prediction for next week, but at the moment, uh, I think you're going to smash Australia 2 1. Really. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean you're saving your full prediction? What does that mean? Uh, let's just see if my prediction changes between okay. now and next week. Let's see if I can convince you one way or the other. Well, we, you know, we did mention it at the top of the show as well. Uh, you know, I think England probably do slightly, will slightly benefit from the fact that Wimbledon is only going to finish uh, on Sunday, two full days before the or three days before the start of the Ashes. Uh, and the fact that you know, Andy Murray is, at this point, still in the tournament, you know, it probably counts in Eng- the England cricketers' favour, I think, because I think just people aren't into it yet. They've not cottoned on. Likewise, you know, if, if Andy Murray loses, loses in the final, perhaps, on Sunday, uh, then suddenly it's like, boom, turn, uh, the whole press attention will turn to the next great hope of the summer. The next thing. The next thing, which Move is... Move on to the uh, next thing. Yeah, no, I think it, it, it's going to be an interesting week. Have I managed to infect you with Ashes fever yet then, Tone, after this? It's coming down with something, but whether it's that or not, I don't know. The side notes now, on which we discuss some of the more offbeat stories of the cricketing week. Uh, now, this side note, Tone, comes from The New Statesman. Different. Uh, it's actually dated 30th of May 2013, so when I say of the cricketing week, I'm playing fast and loose with the word week there. Uh, but I've only just come across it. It's titled, In Britain, as in cricket, the North-South divide is as deep as ever. And it's by Ed Smith. Do you know Ed Smith? Former cricketer. Actually played a couple of, Not personally. <laughs> actually played a couple of tests, I think, for England in 2003. Uh, cricketer turned writer. The Lancastrian fast bowler James Anderson took his 300th test wicket on 17th of May. Only three Englishmen have taken more. Ian Botham, Bob Willis and Fred Truman, the patron saint of all northern fast bowlers. Before we indulge familiar clichés about down-to-earth northern grit, it's worth remembering that the highly skilled Anderson is the face of a vitamin brand and once dyed his hair with red streaks. Ten years ago, when Anderson made his England debut, I remember another Lancastrian stating firmly in the commentary books, you won't have any difficulties with Jimmy, he's from Burnley. Geographical determinism is one of the curious aspects of northern self-image, It's as though such a fine and sturdy tree could not possibly bear false fruit. According to this theory, it is impossible to disentangle northernness from character. That the batting prodigy Joe Root is A from Sheffield and B phlegmatic and deeply impressive under pressure are not presented as independent facts. The former must lead to the latter. You can, apparently, see the Sheffield in his backfoot defence. Given that my mother is from Yorkshire, my father is from Wales and I grew up in the South East, I feel able to assess such claims reasonably fairly. Commentating for Test Match Special recently, I teased Michael Vaughan of Sheffield, Yorkshire and England that Southerners do not have the same sense of predestination about accidents of birth. We are generally happy to accept that the town in which you are born is poorly correlated with your moral virtues and psychological resilience. When Andrew Strauss played his 100th test, people did not rise up as one around the home counties, raising China cups filled with lightly infused herbal tea and shout, of course he's a tough lad, He's from Gerrard's Cross in Buckinghamshire. When Alistair Cook becomes the leading English run scorer of all time, as he surely will, I do not expect the good folk of East Anglia to patronise northerners in the local pub about the moral superiority of Bedford, where the young Cook was a chorister. When the languid David Gower eased the ball effortlessly through the offside, there were few hushed whispers over wine glasses in East Kent that the young Gower had learned about beauty in the cloisters of Canterbury Cathedral. He then goes on to talk about how the north-south divide is also still tangible in in the country at large and in politics uh, but he finishes with he loves it doesn't he he finishes with in the cricket commentary box the analysis of the north south divide might be light-hearted 
However, in the country, I suspect that the old cliche has more bite and sting than ever. What do you make of that tone? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I thought it was a, a very good point about how Joe Root is being talked about as northern and therefore tough, a tough nut, good under pressure, as though they are yeah. inextricably linked. It is curious, although, yeah, I think pretty much all of the regions of England uh, have a strong identity. And uh, what's his name? Smith says, uh, Ed Smith says, the Andrew Strausses of this world you know, aren't necessarily associated with where they come from. That's probably because they come from the southeast, which is where, uh, you know, the majority of the media, uh, etc., is based and is the kind of, at the moment, you know, the, the real powerhouse of England. Uh, so... Of course, they probably wouldn't say that because they're, you know, the the, the media types will be looking to, uh, you know, look, looking outwards from that part of the country, and the you, you, you know, your people from Yorkshire, uh, you cling onto their national identity, which is Yorkshire. If you get what I'm saying. So you're saying that because the majority of the people in the media and so on are from the southeast, when someone comes along from Yorkshire, there's a kind of tendency for other people from Yorkshire to cling on to them even more fiercely and yeah to, and also that to talk the, about them typifying virtues in a way that wouldn't happen in the southeast because it, it doesn't need to happen in the south no and also the people from you know and i consider myself from a you know i might not sound like it but we're we are by virtue where we've grown up slightly different but i definitely consider myself to be a you know i'm a proud regional person although we're not really from a region what, what guernsey. guernsey yeah yeah, uh, but I mean that's different again because I mean we're not a separate well, it, no, country. It's, but yeah, we're it's close. definitely different. But yeah, I you know, I, basically, if you're from the southeast, the, you've got no reason really to be that. I'm, I'm talking about the southeast generally because there are pot, you know there are places in the within the southeast where people have identifiable stereotype characteristics. But yeah, more generally, the kind of home counties in the southeast didn't you know they don't need a kind of strong regional identity because. Because they could just breeze through because life. Just breeze through it, exactly, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, well, is that, does that make sense? Does that make yeah, sense it, to you? It makes you sound like you've got a chip on your shoulder. Me? But yeah. I don't have a chip on my shoulder at all. No chips. Uh, but no, yeah, well, no, I get, you know, I get what it's, I don't know, it, within the kind of cricket, the England cricket dressing room, I don't know how much, uh, how much notice they take of it. But everyone's, everyone pretty much is proud of where they come from, most people. <laughs> yeah, good point, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, carry on in your own time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I know uh, what I'm trying to say. I think I just need a, a glass of wine to better <laughs> express it, really. If you're interested in what Tony's saying, <laughs> give him a call and you can talk about it over a glass of wine. Speaking of strong Yorkshiremen, uh, just a word on Tim Bresden in the runs again. And one actually, well, and an Essex, an Essex lad, Ravi Vapar as well, performing very well. You've copped a bit of flack for that. Uh, you know, you're now the amount you've gone on about Ravi Bapara, uh that pretty much for him to be uh, successful is for you to be sad now. <laughs> you're that kind of linked. You're just bound by it. Yeah. Every, so his every, fortunes. Every boundary he scores is another nail in the coffin of my punditry yeah, exactly. career. Isn't it? Uh, and likewise, well, I think we did we did bemoan Bresden's batting last week, but he did come through with a big score. We got Admittedly, a century. Again, in what is now not a first-class match <laughs> yeah, against Essex. He got 100 for England against Essex. and yeah, He must be gutted because it was a first-class 100, and then mid-match they stripped it of first-class <laughs> status. Um, yeah, we got a tweet from Chris Hudson saying, so let's recap from the last episode. Bresden's batting is dire, and there will probably not be a test championship. Hmm... 
it's it's actually a bit of a burden tone being so right all the time because <laughs> it, it it does put a lot of pressure on us to continue being right much like roger federer's career there's probably no getting away from the fact that this episode of the world cricket show has been in gentle decline for some time now it's probably about time therefore that we brought it to an end roger tone roger what happened pretty sad about that well <sighs> world tennis show listeners know that roger federer is arguably my favorite human Things, so I mean, it is, but it is entirely predictable, and you know, not, it's just like it's like old age. I mean, it is old age of a sort, isn't it? Uh, he's not, he can't go on forever. But uh, but what a Wimbledon it's been. Uh, we got a tweet this week, tone from Peter Carey, who tweeted at me and at you to say, uh, "Adam took my wicket again this evening. I might have to use that as a claim to fame when you have a spot on TMS." This is not someone that we know, tone, but it's presumably someone that's played cricket against you. Well, recently. exactly. Yeah, I, pl- I played for Kobo Legends last night. Regular listeners know all about uh, our exploits for Kobo Legends in Guernsey Evening League Division 2. And this is clearly a, a World Cricket Show listener that was playing on the opposition team last night. He didn't make himself known to me. He was too nervous, I assume, <laughs> uh, which is understandable. But um, I got him out, apparently. That is extraordinarily unlucky on his part, I'd say. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's one of a small uh, and select and elite group of people really to have uh, to have handed his wicket to you <laughs> yeah. well I think I, I think he well I was gonna say I think he was caught at mid wicket I got three wickets last night and they were all caught at mid on or mid wicket I think he possibly was the guy that went oh no it's in the air. so yeah, suggesting that perhaps it wasn't through any brilliance of my own but uh, yeah it was my first appearance for a couple of weeks Last night, Tony, you went there again. No, I don't know what's well, happened I've, to you? Yeah, I've had, uh, you know, I've, I've had some off the field problems, so I'm, I've been away from the, the pitch for a little while. But I'll come back. Have, we'll have to reintegrate you at some point. Yeah, yeah. No, there was the few text messages that that got, you know, got seen that surfaced, <laughs> uh, which weren't particularly flattering. Uh, yeah, so it's a few weeks since I last played, so I was feeling a little bit uh, like I might be a bit rusty with the ball, and also I wasn't in great form before that, so I thought, you know. Not in great form, and then a few weeks away. Again, listeners know that so far this season, every time I've played, my first, at least my first two deliveries have been hit before. Hit before. <laughs> so last night, I was throwing the ball mid-innings. We hadn't taken any wickets yet. I think they had about 80 on the board after about seven overs. Both batsmen going really well. So I start, they thought, right, turn to, turn to Bayfield here to try and rein them in. So I was, yeah, I was feeling a little bit nervous, and I thought, right, I need to, you know, I need to make a good impression first ball. So I went to mark out my run, and the way I do that is to actually <laughs> run. I do my run-up. And I ran... It's an old-school way of doing yeah. it, yeah. So I ran my run-up, did the bound, <laughs> landed, and just my foot slipped out from under me and I went flat on my back like a cartoon. <laughs> so the batsman must have just been thinking, oh, <laughs> here, we go. here we go, here we go, easy run. Been runs. waiting for this. <laughs> so first ball wide, second ball four, third ball wide... Right, what are you thinking at this point? <laughs> I, was not, I was not in a great frame of mind at this point. Then I think fourth or fifth ball, I slipped over in my delivery stride, <laughs> took a tumble, hit the deck, bit of a Steve Finn moment. Yeah, so so, so it was all going wrong. But then then I came back, when it, as I say, managed to pick up three wickets, four overs, three for 26. Pretty good return. I know. In that form of the game. So it's a lot less funny when I actually do well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so, it is. so I need to rectify that. That was a good effort. I'm impressed. I haven't been playing for a couple of weeks. Where are we in the table now? Because uh, when I left, we were doing pretty well. 
<laughs> we're second from bottom. Oh, second from uh, bottom. Right. Uh, but I mean, the, yeah, you say we were doing well. We weren't doing well. No, we, we didn't played one last one, but you know. <laughs> yeah, played we one played... last one when you left. I think now we've played six, lost five, won one. You should play next week. No, I'll be back next week. I'll be back. I've got runs in me. No, I got some runs last night as well. 12 not out. A swashbuckling wow. 12 Genuine not out. Genuine all-round performance. Yeah, I mean, the, the, we were way behind the game. <laughs> I came and I think we needed... 65 off the last three overs and I think I think we got about 40 of which I scored 12 but yeah it wasn't enough had we got enough no was the answer anyway that's about it for the world cricket show this week um if you want to get more involved in the show because you like it or something uh then why not go to facebook facebook.com slash cricket show and click the like button there everyone's getting involved aren't they uh, you can follow us on twitter as well at cricket show is to all intents and purposes, me at Tony Cover is Tony. That's T O N Y C V R R. I don't think you've tweeted for thirteen days. I tweeted Tony. tonight. Did you? I just basically tweeted a congratulations to Marion Bartley because <laughs> uh, she won her quarterfinal today, and she, she. I think she might be my favourite tennis player. You love a bit yeah. of Marion. Yeah. Uh, what well a Marion? If you're listening. But I'm going to start tweeting tonight. I would I imagine be... she probably is listening. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would honestly it would just fill me with joy if she was listening. <laughs> but I will be tweeting uh, to the point of annoyance probably to most people uh, during the Ashes. So get ready for it. I'm also going uh, in a work context and we're going down to the World Guernsey Cattle uh, Federation Conference uh, event uh, tomorrow. So watch out for some tweets from that. I like that because you said it in a work context, but if, if people don't know what you do for a living... New listeners, perhaps they might yeah. think you're some kind of dairy farmer. Yeah, I'm a dairy farmer. I'm, I'm like an Alex James. I'm, you know, I was a rock star, and now I'm a farmer. So anyway, no, but I will be tweet. I will try and tweet a lot during the ashes. Try and tweet some funny stuff as well. Uh, cool. Well, yeah. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, leave us a review. Trying to cut that. <laughs> cut me saying I try and tweet some funny stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be tweeting some hilarious stuff. So check I'll be that tweeting out. some absolute gold during the ashes. Ashes gold. Uh, write a review for us on iTunes uh, if you feel like doing that. We do hugely appreciate all of those. We're actually still being featured on the <laughs> podcast the homepage in the uh, UK iTunes store. Uh, so it is a great moment to write a review for us. Um, so keep doing that. Check out our online website as well, www.cricketshow.net. We actually, not many people are aware of this, we actually have a weekly podcast uh, and you can subscribe to that through there. Uh, you can also download the theme song for free. Uh, and purchase your World Cricket Show t-shirt for just £15, which includes free shipping to anywhere in the world. We're actually coming towards the end of our supply of t-shirts. We're not entirely sure whether we're going to re-up or not. Well, I think we might maybe do a different one, you know? Yeah, maybe a different design. So start saving now. They say that, though, because then people that might want to buy these last few t-shirts... Well, yeah, we might not do another one. (laughs) (laughs) If you want this design of t-shirt, there aren't a huge number left. Uh, so let's be honest the sun's coming out yeah the forecast uh is very good for england don't know about the rest of the world but i'm sure it's going to be nice somewhere yeah it's a nice t-shirt it goes well with anything well, i'm wearing it now i hadn't it. noticed actually but it looks, yeah, it looks all right. it's faded a bit you've worn it quite a lot i'm a company man through and through so i just wear <laughs> uh, it you know, yeah it's yeah it's looking a little bit <laughs> tired now but i've that, only worn it three times today. <laughs> it's held up pretty well <laughs> so get involved and you know the ashes as we've you might have heard it starts next week oh yeah so uh, what better time to crack it open? So it's just £15. So get doing it. Do it now. Anyway, that's it. Stay in school, everybody. The Ashes start next week. We're going to be back. Hopefully next week's episode will be out on Tuesday. 
a day before the start, so that'd be a great way uh, to, to get yourself psyched up on Tuesday night. Uh, but until then, that's all from me and from Tony. Well done, everyone. We made it through another episode. Yeah, oh, thanks. Oh, I, what am I saying? I don't know. What do you, <laughs> what do you want to say? Uh, how long have I got? <laughs> Ten seconds. Okay, cool. Well, I'll just I'll be very quick then. Yeah, have a good uh, have a good week, and we'll see you next week for see you next week. Some ashes fun, I guess. More ashes fun. <laughs> Cut that. Can smell you feel Cool, we're running. <clears throat> Whenever you're ready. Yeah, I'll just start my timer. Go <laughs> independently time Well, because I can't... It's not that... It's not that I need to time it, like, for the record. It's so that... Because otherwise, I can't see your timer. So I don't know where we are. Right. <laughs> just for the record, Adam has an independent timer, which he uses to verify what I'm saying. He doesn't trust me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.